The Drive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we let our thoughts wander over issues to do with cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including Volkswagen chooses Microsoft as a tech partner for digital services. And Mercedes-Benz cars will soon suggest the safest areas to park. With the death of racing driver Bob Jane, we spoke to our good friend Bob Holden, who drove at the same time, starting in the late 50s and still going strong. We went to the revival of Nissan's latest Leaf electric car, and Brian Smith, Errol Smith and I take a jolly look at some quirky news stories about motoring and transport, including a China car company, Lures X Rolls-Royce chief designer, to their fold. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast previous programs on iTunes. So let's start the program with the news. Modern cars still have plenty of horsepower, but the deal clincher from a buyer's point of view is often the digital technology and connectivity that the vehicle provides. Volkswagen intends to invest $4 billion in digitization by 2025, and it is making Microsoft its partner in this future new world. Similarly, car companies have been working to make common structural platforms for their cars, and now Volkswagen is aiming for one digital ecosystem called Volkswagen Wii. This is a major step towards creating an Internet of Things in their cars, with the Volkswagen organisation being in constant contact with your vehicle, allowing it to update your software and provide you with information about your vehicle's requirements, such as servicing. One of the congestion problems in cities is cars circulating looking for a parking spot. Software developers are now producing systems that will locate and direct you to the nearest available space. But consistent with the idea of the Internet of Everything, Mercedes is now adding a further dimension to identify the ideal parking location. They are developing an app that will take police data into account and help you avoid spaces that are in more crime-filled and unsafe areas. No timetable has been set for when this might be introduced. At the 2017 Frankfurt Motor Show, Mercedes showed a hypercar concept vehicle. Development has been ongoing. It will not use a modified engine from its hugely successful Formula One operation. It will use an actual engine, a 1.6-litre turbocharged V6 with three electric motors, one on the engine and one each on the front wheels to give an all-wheel drive configuration. Mercedes have announced that this vehicle will be called the Mercedes-AMG 1. This reflects the 1 of Formula 1, but it doesn't leave any room for the following model. Perhaps they will call it the 1A, followed by the 1B, and so on. The fear of having your personal data stolen from a company you entrusted it to is an ever-increasing worry. You hope that companies will take data security seriously. 
Uber now has 148 million reasons to try harder with their security, and all of them are US dollars. This is the amount that they will have to pay to settle claims arising from a breach that exposed personal information from 25 million US users. As part of the agreement, Uber promised to hire an outside party to monitor its data privacy efforts and regularly report on necessary improvements. The Smart Car Company has now been in operation for 20 years and they continue to push ahead with small, stylish cars. At the Paris Motor Show, they are unveiling the 4Es concept. They have had their for two vehicle with two seats and not much else and a for four. The 4Es is based on the electric version of Smart's for two convertible but with a sportier image. It stands out in its looks, but it is still small. A trendy city car in the making. Kia is trying to cover two trends with its new e-Nero. It's their first fully electric crossover utility vehicle. The incredible thing is that it has a battery range of 485 kilometres on a combined cycle. Emilio Herrera, Chief Operating Officer of Kia Motors Europe, said... Annual sales of electric vehicles across Europe are expected to reach 200,000 this year, rising to nearly 1 million units by the end of 2022, while the crossover market is also forecast to continue expanding in the coming years, killing two birds with one stone. The car sales figures for Australia are down 5.5% for the month of September. Mazda, Ford, Holden and Mercedes had a bad month, dropping more than 24% compared to the previous year. Mitsubishi in fourth place continues with solid growth, as does Kia in seventh. But in the top ten, Nissan in eighth place had growth of nearly 30%. Ford Australia will soon add a premium high equipment SUV to its lineup, which they will call the Endura. Starting at $45,000 and going to $68,000 plus on road costs, Ford say it will have a good range of comfort features and it comes with an 8 speed gearbox. There are two and four wheel drive options, but despite its name, Endura, there is no mention of its off road capability. Great Wall is selling small numbers in the Australian market, but its percentage growth is impressive as it claws its way back from a near-death experience when there was a dispute with the then-Australian distributor. And they are trying hard. As part of their 2018 plate clearance, Great Wall have dropped the price of their dual-cab 4x2 petrol to 19990 drive away, making it Australia's lowest price, brand-new dual-cab ute, and eligible for the government's $20,000 instant tax write-off. And another Chinese brand is enticing buyers with a method used successfully by Kia, but it is restricted as to who will get it. Australian buyers will receive a seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty on every new Haval used for private purposes. 
It is part of their 28 plate clearance, so it will only last till the 31st of December 2018. In a similar vein, Volkswagen is offering driveaway pricing and a five-year warranty on selected vehicles to the end of December. And that has been the news. This is Overdrive across Australia. Racing car driver Bob Jane died the other day and it made me reflect on those times. So I called up our good mate Bob Holden who started racing in the late 50s and is still racing now aged 85 and doing remarkably well in the heritage class. Now, he's best known for sedans. He actually won Bathurst with Rono Altonen in a Mini in 1966. Yet, during the interview, I discovered that he had also raced open-wheelers. The full interview is on our website, but here's some edited comments which touch on a great perseverance that he's had. He has a club footy, walks with difficulty, And in this interview, he explains why, why he's never bitter about it, and indeed, why it helped him achieve what he has. How did you adjust to an open wheeler? It was quite difficult for me, because I don't know whether you know or not, but I've had polio early in in life, Hmm. and we had to build the car around me, because my ankles don't move much, or hardly any at all, and I've got to lift my feet off the pedals, which in open wheel is pretty difficult because the body's in the way above your feet, above your knees. And we had to sort of build the, the body with more clearance around that part of me, if you know what I mean. Mm. Actually, that's uh, uh, incredible because, as you said, you became very good at cycling. Yeah, that got me walking a bit. Okay, and that's why you did it, to overcome the impact of polio? Yep. You were probably racing almost before Peter Brock was born, for example. Yeah, well, okay, there's a fun one for you. Brocky said that I was one of the causes causes of him actually going racing because he watched, watched me at Bathurst prior to him being there. Is that right? See, we won Bathurst in 66 in the Mini Cooper S. Yes, of course. With Rondo Alterton. That's the one, yes. Do you still prepare your cars? Oh, yeah, I won't drive anything I don't, unless I put it together myself. Is that a commitment to making sure everything's right? Uh, making sure that the damn thing's safe and hopefully nothing's been left undone that might kill you. Modern cars, too complex. Has things become unnecessarily complicated in car racing? Um, yeah, because, well, it's complicated to me because I can't operate computers at all, but the computer boys make it look easy. You would still tune an engine by the sound of it, I presume? By feel, yeah. You don't have one of those uh, things you put to your ear and listen to the engine, do you? Well, sometimes you put a screwdriver in one end of your ear and the other end on. I don't know that you could pick differences. Hoses do work quite well. Oh, you put a hose to your ear and, and listen to the engine? Yeah, the suck and things like that, you know. It's an art more than a science, is it? Oh, probably. Just a bit of experience having done it for so long with nothing else to do it with, you know. You had to do with what you had and all that sort of stuff. You've never been held back by the circumstances such as your polio. I mean, that's, that's a staggering achievement. Well, actually, in, a, in its own way, it's probably the reason why I still do things because when I was immobilised early, I used to read and read and read. 
My mother used to buy, join libraries and we'd get everything out of a library that I likely to want to read. But because I read a lot, I then sort of my own drive made me want to do and see the things I read about. And I did. You were never bitter. Oh, how could you be? What's done is done. What's happens happens. You can't, you know, you can't do much about it. It's too late. So you've got to press on. How old were you when you got onto a push bike to try and help you to start walking? About 12. And I had the polio in 38, or whatever it was. The problems I had were in 1938, which was mid I was six years old then, I suppose. You then actually became uh, very competitive at that. You did well with your cycling. Yeah, well, once again, because um, I had to drive... To, uh, I had the drive in me to sort of want to do it properly and I used to do three times, three or four times the amount of training in, in miles, that is, uh, that anyone in who raced with me. And you were nearly selected for the Commonwealth Games? So I believe, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Pretty close. So, Bob, I love talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. And that's Bob Holden, who raced around the time, of course, of Bob Jane, who's just passed away, but perhaps with a different circumstances, and might I say, with a wonderful attitude. You're listening to Overdrive. Nissan has revealed, but not launched, their latest Leaf electric vehicle to the Australian market. It has more performance, it will come with one high spec level, but it won't be here till mid-2019 and we did not learn what its price will be. Nissan say that by their mid-term strategy, the end of 2022, they plan for one-third of their volume of sales in Australia to be electric vehicles. So a lot rests on the Leaf's shoulders to ignite the passion for these vehicles. At the reveal, Stephen Lester, the Managing Director of Nissan Australia, noted the LEAF's new strengths. So with this larger battery, a longer range, and with a conscious mindset of overnight charging in place, Australians are well-placed to enjoy this fun-to-drive car. Contributing to this fun is the LEAF's increased power and torque. The LEAF's maximum power is now up to 110 kilowatts, up more than 37%, and maximum torque has risen to 320 newton meters, up 14% versus the outgoing generation. These enhancements alone make the acceleration more immediate. But Nissan is downplaying the LEAF as just an electric car. They say it will transform the way you drive, but also the way you live. The biggest change appears to be in the process you will use to keep your vehicle fuelled. It is no more the usual trip to the service station and is most likely to be topping it up at home and or work in the way that you keep your mobile phone charged, that is regularly putting it on the charger at a similar time each day. The features for the cars are solid without being earth-shattering. It will have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto connectivity, a first for Nissan. There is a 360-degree around-view monitor, emergency braking, cruise control, lane intervention, an 8-inch infotainment system and a heated steering wheel. It appears to have adequate room, including a reasonably good boot. They are also proud of what they call their e-pedal arrangement, 
When you take your foot off the accelerator, the electric motor reverses its function and becomes a generator, thus putting a drag on the vehicle and slowing it down. For this reason, electric cars usually don't wear their brakes out as quickly. The leaf has a hill hold function, so they anticipate that you will do 90% of your driving by only touching the accelerator. It still has two pedals, an accelerator and brake, and this is not dissimilar to other electric cars. When the first LEAF was introduced into Australia, only 12 Nissan dealers were certified to deal with this type of vehicle. But by the time the second series is released in Australia, Nissan says they will have 89 dealers, 62 in metropolitan areas and 27 in provincial centres, accredited to look after these types of vehicles. Nissan believes that concern about range anxiety appears to be diminishing. They say that the average city-based Australian currently travels only 38 kilometres a day, which means LEAF owners, quote, can go up to a week on a single charge, unquote. This assumes the car is not driven by anyone else and that you are average. The average figure must consist of a wide range of distances, and so the car is more likely to suit the inner-city lifestyle than an outer suburb if you have a long commute. The other point is that while you may be comfortable in the repetitive commuter trips, range anxiety is often about the one-off unusual trip. We still hear a lot of people say, but can you drive it from Sydney to Melbourne? when they hardly, if ever, are likely to want to do that. Nissan has done some research to try and identify consumer sentiment. 62% said that the move to EVs was inevitable, but 74% were concerned about limited public infrastructure. Consumer choice or consumer preference surveys may not reflect how we will act when the reality of the situation is upon us. Who is going to answer a survey and say they are not, for example, environmentally friendly? But circumstances might push us towards electric vehicles. If local governments start to give priority or right of access to electric vehicles, then many more people may change attitude overnight. So Nissan is trumpeting the next generation of its LEAF electrical car, but not telling us enough detail just yet to know how successful it will be. It looks stylish and it has improved significantly on the first model. And the times they are a-changing. You're listening to Overdrive. And we finish the program again with some... Uh, more light-hearted discussion with our two colleagues, Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Brian, in fact, you have a story for us. This is an interesting story. It's the kind of thing you picked up on LinkedIn uh, when you want to check up on where your favourite car designer is working now. Well, Giles Taylor, who was the former Rolls-Royce design director responsible for the Cullinan uh, SUV and the latest Phantom limousine has made a move. Now, it's an unexpected move. He's moved to a Chinese car company uh, called Hongqi. Now, Hongqi is apparently the oldest Chinese car manufacturer, and he's going to help set up a new advanced design centre for the company, housing a globalised high-end design team who will principally undertake project work for this luxury brand, Hongqi. 
Now, he spent six years at Rolls-Royce, and it just seems a little strange to me, I uh, did a bit of research into Honky, that uh, he's he's leaving, well, maybe it's not the pinnacle of his career. I mean, he's uh, he's responsible for the Cullinan for a start. <laughs> um, but he, the company he's going to, there's some wonderful quotes in here that, um, you know, they want to have a, a more internationalised, specialised and diversified team. And they, they talk about Giles being familiar with, the brand and with Chinese culture and, and having a deep understanding for the brand. Now, I'll just go through some of their, their current models. So they started in 1958 with uh, kind of a, quite an old-fashioned looking vehicle and some of their later vehicles have, have effectively been based on other um, platforms, including Audi. But, but uh, look, at present they offer a thing called the CA7460 limousine which is basically a Lincoln Town car. They offer the Anki H7, which is a Toyota Crown Majesta. And their the latest model, which is the Honki H5, is based on the Mazda 6. So, so <laughs> they're, either, they're either paying this man a huge amount of money or they have some terrible secret. <laughs> terrible because I'm trying to work out as a career move, how this fits in from Rolls-Royce to Asda 6. Brian, I, I have a theory I, as to why he's not working for Rolls-Royce anymore. Um, and you just need to look at the crazy concept car that he created called Division Next 100. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to describe, but just put it this way. If it was bright pink, it would fit in perfectly in the Thunderbirds. Yes, it looks like a car has crashed into a desk, and yes. then they thought, "Hmm, this this is a good look. Let's go with this." Around the <laughs> wheels, they have these. Well, I suppose you call mud guards, but it's all separated from the vehicle. In fact, it looks to me a bit like a catamaran with a big body uh, in yes. the middle, and so it's got these p protrusions out the side, which are wheels, which are all pretty well all encased, and inside is this Rolls Royce. Uh, grill on a body that doesn't go to the ground. It's just sort of sitting up like a cat, the body of a catamaran. Uh, the back, mm. I've, I've got no idea how to describe. Uh, uh, Brian, I really admire the way you tried to give a certain Chinese pronunciation to what I might, in a colloquial uh, Australian, say is honky. It is a honky. Yeah. You know, if you've got the name of a car is the honky. <laughs> I think is you've got some problems, but Brian, do you think that they might, uh, the Chinese might try to be doing what the Japanese did by trying to be terribly British? Do you remember the Cedric yes. and the Crown yes, yes. and the Sylvia? These were names they nearly named the one car the Stanley, but uh, at the last minute they changed. So, do you think that we might see the Marquis, Marquis, the the His Highness, or the Majesty? I think you're onto something there, David. I think that you might be right that they're perhaps buying in some kind of, uh, um, I don't know, yes, some kind of uh, British sensibilities or uh, colonial sensibilities. Mm. Uh, although they are looking for fresh, modern vehicles for the new era. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that you know, the Rolls-Royce um, designer is going to work on fresh. No. Can I say, Brian, they're not looking for, they say they are looking for uh, a fresh yeah. approach. <laughs> yes, yes, they say that. 
Uh, and they talk about um, whilst we're looking at the picture of the hideous uh, uh, concept car that he designed, they they mention his insight into the trend of global designs and innovations. <laughs> check his CV. I say to Hong Pi. Yes. Double check it. Double check it. Brian and Errol, is does does crime pay? I guess is a question. A rare $36,000 jewel-encrusted fountain pen may well go up for auction. Now, the reason it's going up for auction is that the American Justice Department filed a civil lawsuit to have the pen forfeited to the government because it was part of the uh, – it came out of the conviction of Fiat Chrysler executives Alphonse Iacobelli, uh, who purchased two of these Mont Blanc pens, almost $76,000, with funds embezzled from the UAW Chrysler National Training Centre. So here is this case of trying to get money back from crime. I wonder if there might not be a trend here. I wonder if we might not be able to sell memorabilia on some of the more horrible natures of the car industry. I think particularly perhaps the first handwritten draft of Henry Ford's anti-Semitic rants. I mean, he bought a newspaper in order to... Henry Ford wasn't a particularly nice man. I think we should make the... He may have... In, no, he didn't even invent the, the production line. He, he automated it a bit. But after that, I'm not sure he did much at all, apart from become more and more anti-Semitic and uh, somewhat opinionated. What about some of the other great bundles? Would you think to buy the drafting table on which the Edsel was first drawn? Right? It's got the significance because it had a huge impact in a very negative sense. Ralph Nader, yeah. Ralph Nader's work, and the Ford Pinto Perhaps the letter from the accountants that said, I think we can save money by still allowing them to crash and burn and possibly kill people by not by having the uh, fuel tank behind the rear axle. But at least I think from an accounting point of view, so the story goes, that that might be the way to go. Do you think we might well be able to make something out of this, gentlemen? I, th- I think so, David. I'm thinking particularly how millionaires would uh, have their framed $1 note, the first dollar they earned. Uh, I'd like to have a framed copy of the falsified uh, performance (laughs) figures by VW and Audi where they crossed out the correct number and and, and entered something fantastical. I think that would be be particularly good. (laughs) Gentlemen, as always, I appreciate your wit, your time and your energy. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. And that's Brian Smith and Errol Smith here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, Errol Smith, Bob Holden and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast previous programs on iTunes. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.